Welcome to New Life with Adam Camp. This podcast is a ministry of Rosemont Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. Please visit us on the web at rosemontchurch.org. Enjoy the podcast. special Sunday for us. It's graduation Sunday and we're going to celebrate at the end of this service with I think 34 or 35 seniors that are graduating from high school this year that are affiliated with our church and so we're going to bring them in the end of the service. 945 is kind of all about the graduates and then starting at 11 they're going to have a uh, luncheon and just kind of a time of celebration together in the fellowship hall and I would encourage you before you leave maybe just kind of walk through and see the tables they've set up and maybe speak to them. I have a graduate this year which is kind of hard for me to believe. Uh, she actually graduated yesterday, so we're very excited and proud for her. But I wanted to be able to celebrate this morning with her instead of uh, being here for all three services. So I've asked Joe Fry, who's our missions pastor, to come and preach for me at the 845, excuse me, the 830. I'm going to preach at 945 to the graduates, and he's going to preach again at 11 to let me kind of be with him. So Joe, come on up if you would. I'm excited. This is, uh, this is the first time Joe has preached for us, and one of the first few times he's preached in English. Uh, Joe was in Guatemala for two years and preached a number of times in Spanish. Uh, but he's preaching in English to us, and we're excited that he's here. Joe's doing a great job, has a huge heart. He and his wife, Megan, have a huge heart for missions, and uh, he's doing a fantastic job for us. And so I'm going to pray for him, and then we're going to see what God says through him this morning, okay? Father, we thank you for the opportunity you've given us to study your word. Uh, We thank you for the opportunity, again, to gather as a body of believers and just hear from you, Father. I pray for Joe right now, Lord. Uh, Lord, I know he's, he's excited about this moment. I know he's been preparing for a number of weeks and praying. Lord, I pray you would empty him of his own desires and his own thoughts, Father, right now, and fill him instead with the power of the Spirit, Lord. May he preach confidently and truthfully from your word, Father. May it convict us, challenge us, encourage us. Father, use this moment for your glory, and Lord, help us as we pray every Sunday, as we hear your word, to be transformed more and more into the image of your Son, Jesus Christ. It's in his name that we pray. Good morning. Uh, it's it's really is a privilege to be here with you guys this morning. Um, so six and a half years ago, uh, through faithful uh, members of this church, people even sitting in this very room, I uh, made a decision to follow the Lord, and I was baptized subsequently as well. Uh, so a lot's happened uh, in six and a half years. So I'm always reminded uh, after we see a baptism um, how much God can can work in your life. Um. After that, uh, people in this church discipled uh, myself. My wife has been a a lifelong member of this church, so this church has discipled her uh, for the last 28 years. 
And then uh, this church sent us out. They, they took care of us the whole time. While we were overseas, they supported us. And more importantly, they just bathed us in prayer. Uh, so I've never got a chance to say thank you. So I just want to make sure today I take that opportunity to say thank you to all of you for, for that. Um, as Adam said, he has a graduate today. So he asked me a, a while back, will you preach for me on graduation Sunday? I said, yes, of course, I'd love to. And I said, what do, you, what do you want me to preach on? Is there something particular, or, or do you have a, you want me to continue in Mark? Or He's like, no, no, you can just preach on whatever you want. I was like, ah, oh, that's, uh, that's pretty, pretty open, Genesis to, to Revelation. Uh, there's a lot in there. So I uh, just started praying about it, and I really just felt God, you know, talking and, and telling me that, you know, preach on just, just your character. You know, I just want to preach on, on who you are and your nature. Well, that is still, I mean, too, too immense for just 30 minutes. Uh, so I want to even more refine it down to, um, I want to preach through maybe just the fear of God uh, and just what that means and, and what that means for us as believers to have fear of the Lord. Uh, so we're, our primary text this morning is going to be Psalm 25. Um, but before we begin there, I want to give you a little bit of context. So obviously, Psalms are special because they're inspired words or hymns, prayers about God, who God is. And they're written to God. So they're, they're super relevant for us. We just can really connect with Psalms and for generations, Christians and believers of God have. So in Psalm 25, we find David in a lot of anguish. Uh, many scholars believe that David was uh, in the throes of the rebellion with his son Absalom. So quick, quick background, 2 Samuel 13 through 19. I'm going to summarize in two minutes. Uh, David had many wives and had many children. One of those sons uh, had a desire for one of his half-sisters and came up with this idea uh, to try to seduce her. It didn't, uh, didn't work the way he thought it would, um, so he assaulted her. After that, uh, that half-sister's brother uh, waited two years and killed that half-brother. And then he fled for a few years. He came back to Jerusalem, was essentially a, an outcast, and it really just started to, to grate on him. So that son's name was Absalom, and he started to gain popularity. After that, he started a rebellion against David. This rebellion really caught wind to a point where David had to flee with his whole family and his loyal subjects, the ones still loyal to him, outside of the capital of Jerusalem. Obviously, a large battle ensued, and I uh, don't want to give it the ending away, but um, David wins. Uh, so... So we find David, we can imagine, he's been betrayed by his son. He doesn't want the death of another child, another son. We, we see historically how David reacts to that. And so he writes this psalm, I imagine, in his tent as he's running from his son outside of Jerusalem. So we're going to start in, in verse 8, Psalm 25. It says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. He leads the humble in what is right, and he teaches the humble his way. All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness. And for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant, 
My eyes are ever toward the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble, and forgive all of my sins. Consider how many are my foes, and with what violent hatred they hate me. O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. So as we, as we go through scripture, uh, a lot of times the way I, I look at it and the way I teach through it is um, we think about four things. We think about who God is in this passage because he's the main character. No matter what part of the Bible we're reading, he's the main person. He's our focus. What does this teach us about man? What does this teach us about sin? And how is it relevant to us? believers right now uh, in, in the 21st century. So starting back at verse 8. Verse 8, it, it already speaks to the character of God. It says, Good and upright is the Lord, therefore he instructs sinners in the way. The Lord is righteous, and he directs sinners. He directs sinners back in David's time, and he will continue to direct sinners in this day and age. He directs us as well. So we understand that first and foremost, what it teaches about God, that God is righteous. And we know that. He ushers us, in verse 9, in a pastoral sense, he says he leads the humble in a way that is right and teaches the humble his way. That verse, he leads, it really is in a pastoral sense, like to lead on a march. So he ushers us as a pastor, and he leads the humble, or another word for that would be meek. So we understand when Jesus taught through the Beatitudes that the meek shall inherit the earth. And so we understand that He's going to lead us, but he's going to only lead those who want to actually be led. So there's a sense of obedience there as well. He's not going to lead someone who wants to do what they want to do. He's looking for somebody who's humble enough to submit to the authority of the Lord and not to that. And that's, that's the same concept that Jesus spoke to centuries later. Verse, uh, verse 10, All the paths of the Lord are steadfast love and faithfulness for those who keep his covenant and his testimonies so there's there's so much in verse 10 first off about god all god's ways are goodness and kindness and reliable truth there's not much we can say nowadays that meets all of those criteria that god is goodness he is kindness and he is reliable truth there's we always talk about oh you can't believe that news source you can't believe that because it's not reliable but we understand that god is so here, humanity, there's, there's, there's something of a description for what our role is as well. We are called to be obedient to his commandments. Uh, these help us be more holy. These help us follow in these ways, in God's goodness and kindness. This idea, Paul tosses around, we call it sanctification. We talk about, you know, on your walk, you know, how are you growing in your walk? That same idea that we, we throw around in today's language, that's what he's talking about. He's talking about that here for those who keep his covenant and his testimony. So meaning that they talk about what God's done. They've listened to his statutes. David's referring to the law as well, that, that the promise, the covenant, is for them. And so we understand that there's a sanctification process that he's describing in verse 10. But also, so what's the relevance here? We understand that we can experience God's true nature when we obey his covenant. And it's not a, it's not a legalistic Thing either. It's simply just that we, when we follow his commandments, we're drawn more 
to the character of God. We're drawn more to his nature. And what does that mean for us? That we have more in common with God, and therefore we're going to have more of a relationship with God. So all these things lead us to, to think that, that that's what, when we talk about on your walk, right, or your sanctification, we talk through that, and we, we think about that in discipleship classes and in Sunday school classes, and, and that's really why you want to follow his commandments, not because you just want to obey a rule or a law or you want to be uh, you know, better than somebody, but it's simply just that we want to draw closer to God because we want to be closer to his nature. So verse 11, God's perfect holiness because of your name. This one is so crucial. So, so verse 11, for your name's sake, O Lord, pardon my guilt, for it is great. Verse 12, who is the man who fears the Lord? Him will he instruct in the way that he should choose. His soul shall abide in well-being, and his offspring shall inherit the land. The friendship of the Lord is for those who fear him, and he makes known to them his covenant. So starting back at verse 11. So his namesake. So for God's namesake, O Lord. So let's stop there for a second. In Hebrew times, people were not given names just haphazardly. Oh, I like, I like that, you know, that color, I like this, or I, I like the, the name of that guy in the other town, and I think I want to use that for my son. No, names were given very specifically for, for physical traits or for personality traits or, or something of that nature. So we think Esau literally means red. So we understand the description at Esau's birth that he was like a red child. He was a red baby. We understand Jacob means supplanter. So we understand the deception that Jacob had throughout his life. Even sometimes they gave names that were prophetic in the Old Testament. Methuselah literally means it will come after the death. So what will come? The flood will come after the death, after Methuselah's death. So we understand that names were really significant. So when we go back to just that little phrase, for your namesake, O Lord, what name would God have? The Hebrews wouldn't even speak his name. Wouldn't even speak it. It was such a perfect name because it encapsulated all of God's character, all of his perfect nature, his holiness, everything that you can imagine about God was encapsulated in one name. One name. So for your perfect namesake, for your holy namesake, pardon my guilt. Now guilt, here we think of guilt like, ah, yeah, I feel, feel a little guilty. You know, I didn't call that person back. That's, that's not what David was referring to. It's much more extreme than that. He actually is saying the same word, guilt, it really is depravity or perversion. It's the same word used to describe the sin in Sodom and Gomorrah. So, so it's not just a, a light guilt, like, you know, I'm sorry, Lord, you know, I know I didn't do right the last couple of days. No, this is, excuse me for my depravity, Lord, because I am, I am lost. And so we understand the level that it, it gets lost a little bit there in translation. But he's saying, God, you, we understand that about man. We need God to forgive us. We need God to pardon us of that guilt, of that depravity that's in our life, the same level. So we also, moving on to verse 12, so God deserves our reverence. Who is the man who fears the Lord? Him he will instruct in the way that he should choose. So first off, verse 12, what does it teach us about God? He deserves our reverence, obviously. We know that as well. We should be, have reverence and awe. When it comes to humanity, we should have reverence. So when we think of fear of the Lord, I really want to kind of supplant those two words in there as well. Reverence and awe. We should just be 
dumbfounded by how awesome God is. And sometimes, myself included, I, I kind of lose that. I don't know why either, but you, it's just this casualness, this familiarity, which is good, but go back to it. That There should be, always be this reverence and awe as well. That was a criteria for picking judges. In the book of Judges, it says, you know, they wanted to pick men that had fear of the Lord, that had reverence and awe of the Lord. Because what happens if you have reverence and awe? Here's the relevance to today. God will instruct us in a unique way when we fear Him. That's what it says in the second half of verse 12. Him will He instruct in the way that He should choose. So those who fear the Lord will get unique instruction into their life from God. That, that's verse 12, and that's, that's quite the promise for us here in, in, in modern times. Verse 13, His soul shall abide in well-being, and His offspring shall inherit the land. There's this beautiful picture here, a beautiful concept what, that those who fear the Lord, it's going to be they're going to it's going to be well in their soul. It is going to be well in their soul. There's this idea for I think of the fruit of the spirit that when you have this relationship with God, all of a sudden these fruits just overflow out of you, and it's obvious it's obvious to people around you that God that the Holy Spirit is residing in your heart, and so. It's not just going to be obvious. It's not just going to be your peace. But it also says, His offspring shall inherit the land. It's a poetic say, saying that says, Those who fear the Lord, it will trickle down to their children. Their children will receive the blessing of this relationship that they have with God. So it's not just for you to fear the Lord, but for those that have families or those that want to have families or dream to have families one day. It's for your children too. That that relationship with God will overflow to the rest of your family. That blessing will overflow to your family. And that, that, that's such a beautiful promise there. That's such a beautiful concept, really, that through, my, through the fear of the Lord, I, I can bless my kids with that. It, it's really fascinating to think. And then, 14, the friendship of the Lord is for those who fear Him. He makes known to them His covenant. The friendship, friendship it. It's an interesting word choice here. It, it's really a private audience. That's really what he's talking about. Or secret counsel is the word as it literally is translated to. So imagine you're a king and you invite somebody to come to you and you have a private audience. That means, you know, he's like, everybody can leave. And then all of a sudden it's just you standing before the king. And you get a secret counsel, a private counsel with him where he makes, them, where he makes known to them his covenant. And so it's, though, but it's only for those who fear him. So if I want this special, private relationship with God, and I get to this access to him, access to the king, the king of kings, it starts with, with this fear of the Lord as well. And it's such a contrary, you know, we know that you know, there is no love and fear, but, but that, it's, it's really interesting here how it talks about this friendship, though. There's a friendship or this private audience when we have fear of the Lord. And we get to tap into that or access that daily, hourly, if we should choose to. Verse 15. My eyes are ever towards the Lord, for he will pluck my feet out of the net. Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. The troubles of my heart are enlarged. Bring me out of my distress. Consider my affliction and my trouble. And forgive all my sins. So, 
First, we, we see clearly that David is, is seeking help from the Lord. He obviously is in distress from his situation with his son. And we see that God is first and foremost in verse 15. He is a savior. God is a savior. Verse 16, God is a healer. And, and, and it's interesting, like I was trying to give you the context at the beginning. Verse 16, it says, Turn to me and be gracious to me, for I am lonely and afflicted. But we understand that he had his whole company of loyal supporters with him. He fled with his family. So he wasn't physically lonely, yet he was. Yet he felt alone. And many of us have felt that before. Many of us have felt like, even though I have my spouse with me, my family's around me as I go through this trial, I feel alone. But who does David turn to? He turns to God's grace. So the relevance for us today, we need God's grace when we go through trials. We need to lean on God. People are there to support us, but we lean most on God. Verse 17, um, again, God is a healer, but moving down to verse 18, God is a redeemer, so consider my affliction and my trouble and forgive all my sins. God is a redeemer, a righteous judge, and he asks, and David's asking him to forgive us, forgive him of our sins. And it's interesting because sin, we, we always talk about sin, you know, there's no sin greater, but we see that there, this sin, David's sin in his life has led to some pretty horrific outcomes and also some severe consequences, some very severe consequences. So David understands that sin has consequence, and that's what we learn about sin here in this passage, is that all sin has the same level of depravity, as he talks about in the, in the previous verses. But here we see that sin also has different consequences, though. The same issue, the separation from God, but there are different consequences. Verse 19, unfortunately more about just humanity in general, and it's pretty apparent to us even today. Consider how many are my foes and with what violent hatred they hate me. And, and it really just speaks to the condition of man, a fallen world, the same fallen world that we still are living in today. And we, we see that there's, just, there's a lot of hate in our world, not just in our country, but all around the world. And so we just see, and it speaks more to this verse about the condition of humanity and that there's, there's hate Verse 20, O guard my soul and deliver me. Let me not be put to shame. Let me not be put to shame, for I take refuge in you. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. Redeem Israel, O God, out of all his troubles. You know, there's, it's really, verse 20, he's talking about refuge and deliver. God, our refuge. God, a deliverer. And we'll file that away for a minute. But verse 21 and verse 22, there's a lot of relevance for us today that we can take away from this. First, may integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you. So David's saying that he probably could have ended the rebellion pretty quickly, especially if he wanted to do things that were not moral. But he's going to wait for God's answer, and he's going to operate with a level of integrity. And it's so relevant to us today. Sometimes we don't understand how certain people might get ahead of us in the, in the job world or how certain people might receive success or blessing or whatever the case may be. And we might want to cut the same corners they have, but that's not, that's not what David's talking about here. David's talking about, I'm going to wait for God's response. I'm going to wait for him 
to give me an answer, and I'm going to wait and operate with a level of integrity honoring God while I wait and be patient for God's resolution. And then verse 22, David is saying, Redeem Israel, God, out of all his troubles. Pray for his nation, his family, God's people, while they're immersed in this civil war, in this conflict. And, and what relevance there is for us that he's saying, I want to pray. I want to pray for those who are trying to have hate for me, who are trying to kill me right now. I actually want to pray for them. And what relevance it is, somebody once told me, you know, if you can stop, if you're in the, just embattled in a conflict with somebody or you have some type of serious issue, issue with them and you can pray for them, can you stop and pray for that person? A lot of times, and, and unfortunately uh, being one of them, I, I couldn't at the moment. And, and to, more regrettable was, uh, that was my spouse at the moment. Uh, so what's David saying? I want to, and my wife didn't want to kill me. So, um, so David's saying, I want to be able to pray for my nation to have healing and reconciliation as well. And what, what a testimony it is for us today to, to be able to say, man, we want to pray for whoever we have an issue with. I want to pray intentionally for that person because that's what David's doing here. So, so all that to be said, so how do, how do we walk away from here? How do we fear the Lord? So it's talked a lot about the benefits of fearing the Lord, but how do we do it? So how do I go home and say, I want to fear the Lord today? I'm going to give us a few things to think through, and and, and you can apply them to your life as, as you see fit. The first is uh, worship. So we come here every Sunday in corporate worship to honor, to praise God, to give Him all the glory, right? We, we say all these things. And, and it goes really to, do we worship Him, though, first and foremost, in spirit and truth? Are we testifying correctly to God's character? Or is what we're saying, is what we're thinking, what we're praying while we sit in these, in these seats true to God's nature, true to God's character? So, secondly, Hebrews 12.29, it's, it's a beautiful passage. It says, Let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And thus, let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. Remember, I told you, fear of the Lord, reverence and awe, for our God is consuming fire. So let us, first and foremost, if you want to fear the Lord, let it start right here, right now, in your worship. How, how focused are you on God? How true is it what you're thinking about God? How is it aligned to the Bible and His character as we find it in Scripture? Secondly, how do we fear the Lord? Prayer. You know, I, we go first and f- I, I think Jesus' prayer, the Lord's prayer, the first line, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Remember what I said about names earlier. Names are not haphazardly given. Names have significant meaning. Jesus' first line of his own prayer, uplifting the name of the Lord, uplifting his character. So, how be thy name? It really, I was doing a Bible study uh, many years ago, and, and the person, uh, the main person that, that did the Bible study on the video, he talked about before he came to the Lord, he just had this realization, this, uh, this revelation that he needed to get himself together. Like, like, he needed to go in the backyard and really get his mind right before he came in to invoke this name. How be thy name? 
this name. And so there's a, a certain fear of the Lord that comes when we want to invoke that same name. Now praise the Lord that we can, we can say God's name. We can say His name right now in our day and age. But there is still a reverence there when we want to invoke His name. When we want to enter into that private audience with the King of Kings. And so there's a reverence when we enter into our prayer life. When we enter into our scripture reading, our Bible reading. Psalm 119, God's word is sweet, sweeter than honey. It's rich. That's what the psalmist was saying. It is rich. So when we want to pick up the word, when we want to study the word, it deserves, deserves our time and our attention. And, and so how do we handle God's word? How do we study God's word? Do we give it the proper attention that it's due and that it deserves? So there's a fear in how we read the Bible. There's a fear in how we pray. There's a fear in the Lord of how we worship. But finally, and I won't say most importantly, but just finally, there's a fear in how we share the gospel. So when we think about Jesus, when we think about Jesus, I want us to think through what we've learned today about God and God's character. So we learn a lot about God's character just in these few verses. But when we put Jesus' name in there, Jesus is righteous. He directs the sinners on his path. Jesus is a pastor. He leads the meek. Jesus' ways are goodness and kindness and reliable truth. Jesus is perfect holiness. Jesus' name forgives me of my sins. Jesus deserves a reverence. Jesus is a savior. Jesus is a healer. He's a redeemer. He is a righteous judge. And finally, Jesus is our refuge and a deliverer. Jesus is all these same things that we see in the character of God in this psalm as well. So, all these things about Jesus, if he fits this character and he is this character, then he too should have our reverence and awe in his story. His good news, when we say it, should, we should handle it with care. That means that we don't admit anything to make it easier to share, to make it more, uh, to make it more accepted. No, we, we handle it with the utmost care and we don't change anything. So that way, we give him his due, his due reverence, his due awe, and we don't change anything about his character. The apostles, you know, they, they feared Jesus. As we go through Mark, it's, it's all over the pages of Mark, and it's interesting. Starting, Jeremy preached on Jesus um, calming the storm about a month and a half ago. And what, what did he say? What, what, did, what did the disciples say? It said, And they were filled with fear, and they said to one another, who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obeyed him? So the disciples had fear of Jesus. A few weeks ago, Adam preached the transfiguration. This is talking about Peter. For he did not know what to say, for they were terrified. So we remember Jesus, or Peter saying, you know, should we build a shelter for all three of you as they're transfigured in, in this celestial brilliance? Uh, he tries to stumble something out because he was so awed. He had such awe for what he was taking in. So we see, though, that the disciples, they definitely feared Jesus. But also, they walked with Jesus daily. They considered him and counted him a friend as well. So we see the balance there just in the disciples' lives. They had, they had fear of Jesus. They saw him do incredible things. Yet they also counted him a friend. And that's the relationship I desire with God. That's the relationship I desire with God. 
So I want to I want to finish with with this passage, and this is Isaiah eleven one through three, and this is this is a prophecy about Jesus. This is a prophecy about Jesus written hundreds of years before. It says a shoot will come up from the stump of Jesse, from his roots a branch will bear fruit. The spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the spirit of counsel and of might, the spirit of knowledge. In fear of the Lord. He will delight in the fear of the Lord. So we understand that Jesus delighted in the fear of the Lord. He delighted in it. What a, what a perfect word that is there. I want to delight in the fear of the Lord. I want to have a deeper relationship with God. That's the desire I believe for everybody here. Is to grow their relationship with God. To have a deeper relationship and to continue on their walk to be more sanctified daily. That comes uh, in a number of levels, but Jesus had a fear of the Lord, which is hard for us to understand because he was the Lord, So, but we're not going to get into that today. So I just want to leave us with that, with that verse right there, with those verses, and to let that pour into your life. So when we come together in worship, when you go whether it's corporate prayer or in your private prayer life, when you study the Bible, today as we study the Bible, together as a, as a body, as we share God's message of hope, as we share the gospel, that we have a fear of the Lord as we share it, and that will grow us and pull us into a deeper relationship with God as well. So I'm going to close us in prayer. Uh, the, the worship team is going to come back up here. And um, if anybody wants to come up front, they're more than welcome to. I'm going to pray. Dear God, thank you. Thank you for, for today. Thank you for, for bringing us all together for the study of your word. God, we pray that, that this brought you honor and glory, that this was reverent, and that this was true to your nature. God, thank you for for this church. Thank you for these believers. We pray for these graduates today as we send them out, that, that they bring you honor and glory as we send them out into the world. And we're grateful for, for all the people that have poured into their lives, the parents, the teachers, and, and the family members as well. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Stay here, though, as we close with greatest thy faithfulness. sermon. We would love to hear how today's message blessed you. 
Use the contact us link on our website at rosemontchurch.org. God bless.